Welcome to Rebellion Dogs Radio, a 21st century look at 12-step life, now with less dogma and more bite. This is episode 26, the Say Yes to Everything show. There's some upcoming events to share with you, some good news for sure. AA's General Service Conference is in its 67th conference cycle. The conference report for 2016 is out. I've read it. Uh, We'll talk about some challenges for all of AA and what AAs have on their minds looking to the future. We're looking at identity politics and inclusivity. Are underrepresented minorities in AA best to state their needs separately and alone? Or is there some value in thinking about inclusivity for all? Say yes to everyone. Maybe AA will enter the era of radical accommodation. That's going to be the theme for what we're going to talk about today. This is going to be controversial because this idea that I want to share challenges some current orthodoxy. Currently, AA, the service structure, works on a substantial unanimity policy, which isn't as amenable as radical accommodation. Substantial unanimity by a year 2016 standard is unfortunately susceptible to what we call in our AA service manual, tyranny of the majority, which is an enemy that we've been charged by our founders with the task of defending AA against. Voting of any kind pits winners against losers, the persecutor and the vanquished. That's no good and it's not necessary. Let's look at the possibilities. A slight adjustment, maybe, an attitude adjustment. I contend that radical accommodation is a slight adjustment and not a wholesale change. It's just our language. When anyone anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA always to be there. We don't vote on it first. We eliminate barriers and we reach out. The problem we have in AA is that the inflow of diversity which we welcome, flows into this 2016 hourglass, the bowl at the top. And the problem is funneling through the neck of the hourglass, our process, which was designed in the 1950s. We get bottlenecked. We continue to widen our gateway, but we can't meet everyone's needs through our outdated process. Think of AA service structure as a bridge to the future. Every bridge needs repairs and replacement parts through the decades to meet new demand and keep up with the times, especially if the answer is going to be yes to everything. And I'm going to explain that. I am. The problem sounds obscure and the solution sounds simplistic but I'll offer some real-life example of challenges confronting our general service conference right now, we can smooth relations, relieve stress, and relieve backlog with what I say is a slight adjustment. Like every year, the current annual general conference cycle has, it runs from April to April, and it has a theme. This year's theme is securing our future. To secure our future, Uh, we have to update our infrastructure. That's happening in AA already, and there are signs of resistance too. I'll tell you why I think evolution is natural, inevitable, and how we are visibly moving in a good direction. At the time of recording, it's October 2016. A great time to be living sober, or clean, or clean and sober, or living in long-term recovery, if you like, changes afoot, and we're part of it. October 7th to 11th, I'm in, or was in, depending on when you're listening, Minneapolis for the NADAC National Conference, N-A-A-D-A-C, that's the Association for Addiction Professionals, not too far off AA's 
Secure the Future theme, NADAC is going with Embrace Today, Empower Tomorrow. Catchy. Also upcoming, We Agnostics, Atheists, and Free Thinkers International AA Conference. November 11th to 13th in Austin, Texas. More on that shortly. I've got some hold the dates for you. Uh, they're all on the Rebellion Dogs uh, website, or I should get them there soon. Just announced in Toronto in 2017, there's going to be SOAR, S-O-A-A-R, Secular Ontario AA Roundup, September 17th at the Steelworkers Hall in downtown Toronto. This AA Roundup will be hosted by members of several uh, atheist agnostic AA groups from Ottawa, Ontario to Hamilton. Maybe more will be involved by the time uh, we get there. If you like retreats, October 27th to 29th, 2017, I'll be working with the Sedona Mago Retreat Recovery Series on a workshop around the steps and the traditions from a non-theistic, secular point of view. No God, no problem. I've been there a couple of times. It's worth it even without a workshop. It's great food, great environment. If you like workshops, this is a great place for them. Let's get up to date with what's already happened so far this year. Gather round and listen up. The evolution of our AA society starts in the United Kingdom. The General Service Conference in the UK started an initiative to reach underrepresented populations in AA uh, with two new pamphlets, a new LGBTQ pamphlet uh, coming soon and now available, the God Word, Atheists and Agnostics in AA. This is a collection of AAs telling their stories, what it was like finding AA, what life is like today, None of these AAs tell their stories uh, with the, and then I found God ending. They don't believe in a prayer answering sobriety granting deity. Also, October 2016, most of you know, if not all of you know, AA's grapevine featured atheists and agnostics. September, it was young people. A couple months ago, it was the prison population. The grapevine has been doing a great job at featuring these underrepresented populations in AA, and letting them have their say. Living Cyber at Waftiak. You may have seen the Fall Box 459 News and Notes from GSO, and it states in the calendar that We Agnostics, Atheists, and Freethinkers International AA Convention will be in Austin, Texas, November 11th to 13th, looking forward to Waftiak in Austin. How about you? Saturday at 2 p.m., I have the honor of moderating a workshop on online recovery. It's called Living Cyber, a play on words from Barry L's conference approved Living Sober. And it's going to be talking about podcasting, blogging, social media, chat groups, YouTube, and you. Have you ever thought about writing or producing a show about recovery or addiction? Come talk to us about your creative project or your sober cyber life. Later, we're going to be actually talking about the General Service Conference voting no to AA being on YouTube and Google. Maybe they should review their rules. Currently, they don't let delegates and decision makers have their cell phones with them in session, or have them on anyway, as far as I know. In order to make informed group conscience decisions, uh, maybe if they checked their phones, they would see that AA is already on YouTube and Google. We're already there. Some of GSO wants to join us, and there is a certain Luddite revival uh, that uh, wants to go in another direction. We're online and doing fine. More on that shortly. But back to uh, the Waftiak Living Sober panel. One of my favorite hubs for great blogs, art, music, writing, community, and podcasting is SinceRightNow.com, home of Recovery Revolution. Chris is co-host of Clean and Sober Podcast, and also he's going to be on our panel. 
Also is Tammy S., whose blog, My Life is a Work in Progress, it chronicles her ongoing sobriety. So Tammy, Chris, and I will be conversing with anyone who wants to join us about face-to-face recovery versus online sobriety. Or if you're thinking about writing a book or submitting an article to Grapevine, Old School, The Fix, or AA Beyond Belief, come share your ideas. We'll talk. Along with Chris from Clean and Sober Radio, Matt and Jeff are coming too. These guys are totally pushing the envelope. They're always trying new things. They've done intercontinental podcast radio. They've done live podcasting. They've had past guests be guest hosts. Don't tell me you can't get sober or stay sober from the help that's available on the internet. Since Right Now did a feature in September on Rebellion Dogs Publishing, it was witty and it was playful. Uh, It had an interesting look at our anonymity policy. Some inspiration and thoughts from psychology today. I started writing Beyond Belief, the secular daily reflection book, back around, I don't know, 2005, 2008, somewhere around there. Rebellion Dogs Publishing started in 2012. Uh, the website, great strides are being made for non-believers in AA. I mean, since then, look what's happened. In the UK, their GSO with their uh, the Godward pamphlet, AA Grapevine, uh, AA freethinkers, skeptics, were in the mainstream. Being an atheist alcoholic still, though, continues to run the risk of facing hostility. It makes being a non-believer, it gives you a double stigma. All addicts still run the risk of stigmatization. I mean, (laughs) I understand we addicts steal, lie, pose a threat when we're behind the wheel of a car or in any position where others rely on us. Addicts can be careless, hostile, self-destructive people who do threaten the peace and safety of both loved ones and strangers. AA is supposed to be a refuge where we aren't shamed for the affliction of alcohol addiction, but for the transcending human nature and other liberal myth segment of the show, Newsflash, some of us AA still shame each other for words, actions, and outside issues. We are not saints indeed. But there's a second stigma that a non-believer may or may not be subject to inside AA. Not all of us are, but for people who treat God as we understand him as superstitious, one may feel marginalized for holding this unpopular view. That hostility for that attitude can be felt inside AA and society at large. For the most part, AA is just a microcosm of society. So let's see what expert Philip Zuckerman, professor of sociology and secular studies, says on the subject. He's got a couple of books, Living the Secular Life, 2014, Faith No More, 2011, Society Without God, 2008. What I'm quoting from Psychology Today is an article called Why Americans Hate Atheists, Understanding Secular Phobia. While about 10% of Americans say they'd be unhappy if a family member married someone of a different political persuasion, and about 30% of Americans say they'd be unhappy if a family member married a gun owner, nearly 50% of Americans say they'd be unhappy if a family member married an atheist. This finding comes as no surprise. Social science has long revealed high rates of secular phobia, the irrational dislike, distrust, fear, or hatred of non-religious people within American society. So how does secular phobia reveal itself in AA? There is a fear that those who dismiss the AA steps or use or read a godless interpretation of AA steps will water down the AA program. Uh, Bill Wilson was trying to assuage this irrational fear 
uh, going back as far as 1955 in defense of Buddhist AA members and groups. They, of course, changed God as we understand him to the word good. Imagine there was a God. Now imagine one that needed AA members' protection. That part is what I mean by irrational. An impotent God is no God at all. Zuckerman points out that atheists are considered unpatriotic. Atheist 12-step groups are considered, well, in some cases, un-AA or un-NA, un-OA, in a few small and a few not-so-small pockets. In some cases, AA members interpret, read, and share agnostic or secular variations of AA's original 12 steps. You can't do that. They're copywritten, some secular phobes may retort. I'm not an intellectual property lawyer, and neither was Bill Wilson. He says in the foreword to AA Comes of Age, AA wasn't invented. How do you copyright something you didn't invent? Apple uh, tried to uh, copyright the rectangle because <laughs> they didn't want other people's phones to be a rectangle with curved edges. Some things are just public domain. He elaborates in his uh, St. Louis 1955 talk, which is on page 231 of A Comes of Age. As a society, we must never become so vain as to suppose that we are authors and inventors of a new religion. We will humbly reflect that every one of AA's principles, every one of them, has been borrowed from ancient sources. We shall remember that we are laymen holding ourselves in readiness to cooperate with all men of goodwill, whatever their creed or nationality. Now Zuckerman also identifies that for theists, immorality is associated with secularism. Many AAs would view a secular AA meeting or members as not sharing the same values or morality that other God-obeying AAs would share. The Psychology Today story shines a light on the discriminatory practices and stigma associated with being a non-believer. They are born of fear and articulated in flawed logic. This flawed logic assumes a non-theist is guilty until proven innocent. The onus is on the accuser. Call someone a law or rule breaker or immoral. Don't be making these accusations without the evidence to back it up. Of course, AA has no rules and no theology to disobey. The problem of discrimination is compounded when the majority members are in denial of their hostility towards minorities, or their uncomfortableness, or their unfamiliarity, if you prefer. We looked at uh, what Zuckerman called secular phobia, now fear of the unknown or the unfamiliar is something we all have. There's no need to point the finger at others who suffer from biases just like I do or you do. There is secular phobia in AA, but there's also back to basics phobia or Christian doctrine phobia. I know I have my own list of what I think is good for the future of AA and a list of what I think is harmful for the future of AA. I have biases. Some rituals and practices I favor, and some make me cringe. Who doesn't have any bias? These are my opinions, and you have your opinions. They aren't facts. AA folk wisdom. Our fear sometimes is the acronym false evidence appearing real. Maybe we have nothing to fear from these other types of AA meetings. Radical accommodation can render these differing opinions moot. Radical accommodation is alive and well in AA in one way already. If you don't want prayer in your AA, you'll like my home group. 
Join us in Toronto any Thursday, Saturday, or Monday at Beyond Belief, Agnostics and Freethinkers AA Group. If you get a buzz from everyone reciting the Serenity Prayer at the top of the meeting and holding hands and saying the Lord's Prayer out loud together at the end of the meeting, there's another Toronto meeting just minutes away from ours where you'll feel really at home. Isn't radical accommodation an extension of our slogan, Live and Let Live? Let's take a moment and look at great past social justice success stories. Equality for all was the bragging mantra for America even before it offered freedom to non-whites, even before uh, women could vote. Equity, liberty, the meaning of these words change over time. It's worth noting that the privileged class and the persecuted both had roles to play in broadening equality in our history. The civil rights movement then and radical accommodation today. You might ask, Joe, you stick up for non-believers in 12-step recovery. Are you a special interest lobbyist or are you an all-for-one, one-for-allist? Well, I try to keep my own narcissism as small differences at bay and defend the rights of all AAs and all AA groups that do as they wish, the literalists, the anarchists, and everyone in the middle. But on the theme of what are we fighting for, really, I look back in time to early civil rights movements for clues. This is where I find the motivation, encouragement, and method for today's radical inclusion buzz phrase or buzz hyphenated word, if you like, radical-inclusion. Anyway, the civil rights movement. Advertisers would tell you this movement had great branding. The Negro rights movement wouldn't have had the same ability to open the hearts of the majority of Americans. Still, they mean the same thing, but civil rights versus Negro rights is a broader liberal idea. Let's look at four of the folk heroes from the Civil Rights Movement. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, and Andrew Goodman. Every social movement needs a team, a team of players who bring various skills and attributes. You need agitators. You need diplomats. Martin Luther King Jr. was a diplomat. Malcolm X was an agitator. The movement needed disobedience, and it also needed love and tolerance and peaceful diplomacy. Andrew Goodman was white, Caucasian, and educated guess I would say he was Jewish too. Civil rights wasn't a race relations issue only. It was a humanitarian issue for many. Segregation and other racially motivated discrimination these were symbols of a flawed democracy that wasn't living up to its potential. Rosa Parks was the only one of the four who wasn't killed for what she believed in. Hostility to the idea of Caucasian-African-American equality was such that Americans killing Americans was justified in this one nation under God at that particular space and time. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Andy Goodman were all murdered. More people were murdered, whites and blacks, for the civil liberties cause. Rosa Parks was also victimized by persecution from all sides. Remember how sexist society was in the day. Even in her own African-American community, she was not treated with equality because she was a woman. I expect she was shamed and ridiculed by many of the people she was standing up for by confronting the long arm of the law. What's that term? Don't braid the beard of the lion? Her life and her reputation were both in danger. Today, many of the same lines are being drawn by groups like Black Lives Matter, but the civil rights movement was a success. Systemic discrimination continues to maintain a class of privilege and a series of others that are outsiders looking in. 
but at least in a meaningful way, if not in a complete or perfect way, the dismantling of segregation based on skin color was a symbol we look back on today as a way that society has changed for the better. I suggest that the framing of this issue as a civil rights issue, bigger than a race issue, contributed to the eventual majority view inside the USA. Anyone can stand up for the protection and assurance of civil rights for all. Back to AA for a moment. I, I borrow this radical accommodation idea as an extension of the popularized radical inclusion, which was a theme for Bill Wilson, his writings, and an AA ideology. Here's the thing. Here's the question. Can we invite minorities to join as welcome equals without accommodating their differences? We invite newcomers to join without conditions, only one requirement is, you know, dot, 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 you know it. We tell them that open-mindedness was a key for us to uh, both the learning and unlearning that brought about change in our lives, but we never insist that they obey our individual or collective views or insist that they deny their own views. Therefore, if we're true to our word, we must accommodate different individuals and groups. We need to say yes to everything. I'm no history major, but I think when I look back at the civil rights movement, its posture and language made it easy for anyone of any race or socioeconomic status to say, if one group's civil liberties can be suspended, then who's to say that some other group isn't next? I won't stand to see anyone's civil liberties compromised. Civil liberty for all. I mention how it seems to me that at one end of the AA structure, radical accommodation is alive and well. We have two ends of our inverted AA pyramid, the groups and members at one end, the big end, and the service structure at the small end, funneling down to our general service conference, our operating entities, AA World Service, the grapevine, the general service board of trustees. Like a bicycle, both legs have to be pedaling. If one's working efficiently and the other leg is rigid or bogged down, there's a problem. So this radical accommodation practice has to be part of thought and action coming from both sides at the same time. We're going to look at how we're doing at the skinny bottom of the AA structure, but first let's look at how we're doing at the top of the, the fat part of the triangle, the groups and members. Here's the assessment of Ernie Kurtz and William White from 2014 uh, at the group end. AA has stretched the boundaries of its inclusion via the growth of AA meetings within diverse cultural settings, by the growth in specialty meetings of people with people with alcohol and other drug problems who share another defining characteristic. For example, age, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religious orientation, or its absence, primary language, problem severity, low bottom versus high bottom groups, co-occurring disorders, occupation, etc. The variety of AA groups and varieties of AA experience suggests that AA has made substantial progress in meeting this criteria. That sounds pretty harmonious. Most would agree this is the important part of AA. I mean, meetings and groups, that's where one-on-one -on -one contact usually starts, where the impossibility of overcoming addiction becomes possible. So good for groups and members. Both legs have to be working harmoniously. So how are we doing at the service structure level with radical accommodation? Me, my group, and general service. At the time of recording this show, I'm secretary for the Greater Toronto Area Accessibility Committee. It's made up of eight district accessibility chairs, 
their GSRs from their districts that make up the Greater Toronto Area. Like the service structure as a whole, we're doing our own inventory. We're reviewing our, our, our mission, our effectiveness, where we've succeeded and where we're failing. We're looking at how this year's General Service Conference theme supporting the future ought to influence our practices as our committee goes forward. We see in the 66th General Service Conference Report 2016, this question is being asked by treatment and accessibility all through the service structure. At the core, the purpose of our committees remains the same. That purpose is to carry the AA message to the alcoholic who still suffers regardless of what challenges may stand as barriers between the alcoholic and the AA message. This, I think, is great and inclusive language, carry the AA message, regardless of challenges and barriers, remove them. Say yes to everyone. One mental trap that flies contrary to this accommodating idea is something we hear all the time, but we've always done things this way. Making rituals sacred can give us a warm, secure feeling, and we may see our way of doing things as having stability and staying power. However, at the heart of our ritual is a principle. Rigidity of method can crush the vitality out of that principle. Firm on principle, flexible on method. In the conference report, we see that really AAs are thinking about this everywhere. Here's what I read. We can get caught up in AA rigidity, but if motivated by the spirit of listening, our group conscience can result in good decisions. It is suggested that the conference and delegates in particular find ways to reach out to underrepresented populations of all kinds. Diversity begins with us, one-on-one. -on -one. I think that's a good point. It starts with us, one-on-one. -on -one. Be the change you want to see. I'm responsible. Before I go off to my accessibility committee meeting, why not check to see if my own home group is wheelchair accessible? Does the building have an automatic door at the front? Is there an elevator, accessible washrooms? Does our literature table have information about audio or braille literature? Do we have the pamphlet AA for the alcoholic with special needs? If I read these stories of members who are living with mental or physical handicaps, wouldn't that help me feel more comfortable and less awkward about not wanting to say the wrong thing? In our meeting room, is there room for someone in a scooter or a walker to make their way anywhere where I can walk? So while it's easy for me to shake my fist in the direction of AA's General Service Office in New York City and say, you shoulda, coulda, if you woulda, but I'm a hypocrite if I'm not acting locally first. It's a two-way street. My committee uh, work has made me more sensitive and better informed, and I have GSO to thank for much of the information I've learned from. But there's information everywhere. Here is some regional information our committee got, just as an example. The conference report brought up underrepresented populations. Our committee wanted to know, well, who are these in our area? According to the Ontario March of Dimes, it's an advocacy group for people with physical disability, today over 15% of Canadians have disabilities including more than 40% of people over age 65. About 1.85 million people in Ontario have disabilities. That's one in seven. One in seven people. Well, presuming that's true of all of North America, if one in seven people have disabilities, do one in seven AA members have disabilities? Do one in seven members of our committee have disabilities? This is a visibly underrepresented population in AA. Locally for me, the Ontario Human Rights Code reminds us that being thoughtful of such things isn't being a good sport. It's not being spiritual, but it's the law. 
we need to understand what and where our duty to accommodate applies to AA gatherings. Making AA like any other service, barrier-free, is the way the world is now. Duty to accommodate, their language, means the same thing as our language. When anyone, anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA to be there for that I'm responsible. How do we best accommodate or help everyone feel more welcome? Here's our most uh, recent attempt to widen AA's gateway. People with scent allergies, perfumes, colognes, uh, scented hair or body products. People are allergic to such things, and these individuals are being accommodated in society. We don't read about them in our AA literature yet. My name's Joe, AA, allergic to perfume. But based on local demand and local news, our communities are paying attention to this new potential barrier in and outside of AA. Scent-free or scent-controlled gatherings, like our meetings, assemblies, or conferences, are another way that we eliminate barriers or carry the message. I, I remember um, the local AAs transitioning from smoking in meetings to non-smoking meetings. It wasn't divine inspiration that made us change. It wasn't our spiritual wellness that moved AA into healthier environments. It was the law and social demands that made us change. In most communities today, smoking in an AA meeting is unthinkable. It could be that five years from now, wearing cologne or perfume or body spray in an AA meeting is unthinkable too. The little accessibility committee side trip that I just took here. It's not completely off track. Sometimes we can learn things in one activity that gives us a new, unique look in other areas in terms of carrying the message. For instance, in the 2013 to 2015 compendium, the General Service Inventory, they say something about language. Language equity, an overriding concern expressed throughout a number of different workshops report that the issue of language equity and the need to reach a level of parity in information in the three languages represented at the conference to ensure full participation through the fellowship and to make certain that the conference is not giving the impression that there are second-class members. Now, what they're referring to is that a lot of what is written, the report itself and preparatory material for that, uh, is available in English, Spanish, and French. And it was always in English first, and then people who needed or wanted a French or Spanish version had to wait longer to get it. And they're trying to make it available all at the same time to keep people equal. That's fair. It creates equity. So they don't want to have a privileged class and others. Now we can think of language, AA language, more globally. Uh, you know, there's a language for gender, sexual orientation, creedal, and age-neutral language. It's also true that pamphlets are available in three languages in North America, and they're all priced the same, even though doing small print runs of French or Spanish pamphlets increases the per-item cost AA absorbs a cost so that everyone pays the same. Equality. We accommodate. On the topic of more secular AA language, the language equity idea makes me feel even better about how our members and groups are right to express AA language verbally, digitally, or in print in the, our own authentic language. There's nothing un-AA about a secular interpretation of how it works or a preamble. The same would be true about feminist, polytheist, pro-LGBT interpretations of our literature. Opposition to this sort of just-say-yes ideas, regardless of the minority we're talking about, are born of this secular phobia idea that Zuckerman introduced into our lexicon. Yeah, you could call it homophobic or patriarchal or, or any phobia 
there are small factions of AA who feel that the integrity of the AA message is the literal obedience to original wording. As a phenomena, this faction is hard to ignore, but also alive and well in AA is a desire to go to any lengths to eliminate barriers. If the barrier is a word, even if the word is God, change the word, the word won't mind. Fear that such liberty is detrimental to AA, while sincerely felt, is not an irrefutable fact. When substantial unanimity crosses into tyranny of the majority, okay, systemic discrimination is a human resources or human relations word that I've borrowed. Uh, applying these ideas to AA rituals and practices, feel free to use AA's own language instead of systemic discrimination. How about complacency? Regardless of how we frame it, we're talking about how normal ways of doing things benefit one privileged class, be it large or small, and marginalize another group. An example I used in the past regarding the General Service Conference is the way in which no teenager in AA can have a say in the pamphlet AA for the teenager. We have a limited number of teen population in AA to begin with. By the time they go through the normal process of becoming a GSR, becoming a district chair, becoming a delegate, well, they're probably over the age of 20 before they ever get to the conference literature committee. That's just part of our system that uh, by no intent discriminates against teenage participation in their own literature. In a society like AA, while there's no blatant intent of creating a privileged class, rituals and practices, be they intentional or innocent, favor one group over another. Praying to a higher power named God pronoun he, doesn't only marginalize atheists, but devotees of uh, other uh, theistic beliefs as well. Islam, for instance, never refers to Allah by gender. These rituals and uh, this literature and AA meetings make some people feel very comfortable and very empowered, while others feel unwelcome and marginalized. So let's look at uh, the conference's decision-making process. It's controversial to criticize Bill Wilson, who left us this 1950s way of deciding things, and I'm sure to some it's sacrosanct. But the question is, do you think Bill would have any problem with you and I considering the flaws in the system or maybe a better way of doing things? I'm not saying, I'm just asking. When I talk about the General Service Conference, I try to think in terms of us, not them. This is us discussing our business, not them, the GSO, versus us, the members and groups. So in this regard, I'm questioning how well we're doing and could we do better. Let's look at four items under advisory actions brought to the General Service Conference in 2016. One, the 2017 conference theme will be supporting our future. This was approved by the conference. Fantastic. Two, there is a movement to update our women's and gay and lesbian pamphlets, presumably both to modernize and support our future. Also fantastic. Three, a request from Public Information to start a nonprofit YouTube and Google page was disapproved. PI wanted to disseminate information and outreach in a cost-effective, location-location way by putting AA and the AA message where the people are. Why would AA members who don't use YouTube or Google not want those who do use the internet to find the AA message there. Is there a concern that AA searchable on the internet doesn't support our future? I think that is a cause for concern. Uh, four, a request for the literature uh, to print a plain language big book was turned down. But why? 
Uh, some background on number four. In some communities, literacy is below the national norms. English as a second language, or in some cases, uh, Aboriginal Native North Americans, for instance, uh, they believe that a more plain language offering in terms of literature, i.e. the big book in 12 and 12, would be our way of going to any lengths to carry the A message to anyone anywhere. They feel that the language is in some ways old-fashioned, of course, but in some ways just goes over people's heads. That's my limited understanding of the concern in the proposal. Now, when I look at these four things, it'd be easy to be critical of me. I cherry-pick four items for discussion. I agree with the two where the advisory actions were ratified, and I raise the alarm for the two items where they said, no, not at this time. Understandably, you might wonder if I'm just a bad sport or when I don't get my way, I criticize the General Service Conference. When I do get my way, I praise them. What's outdated about substantial unanimity, you ask? The agreement of two-thirds of the members of the conference is what breathes life into an advisory action. I'm not saying that it's evil or a corrupt system. I'm just asking, what do we gain by this method, and what do we lose? Can we do better? On the plus side, AA has limited resources, limited time, limited talent, and this process assures that GSO devotes its time only to the things that are supported by the majority of AA members in the U.S. and Canada. But this makes each issue a popularity contest, and when the majority decides for the minority, that is still, be it a 51% in favor or 99% in favor, it's a tyranny of the majority. That's a strong statement, and I stand by it. Minorities have rights. Maybe we AAs have a duty to accommodate those rights, and we're falling short, maybe. So what makes a substantial unanimity process outdated is that it does not consider our duty as a fellowship to accommodate the needs of everyone. Substantial unanimity comes from an autocratic era, and our inverted triangle was quite a novel approach at the time. Being survivors of the trauma of the Great Depression, our founders shared a certain scarcity mentality. Living through poverty, the idea that resources are limited, would make voting on this course of action versus that one seem like a reasonable method, and I'm sure it was for the time. But really, is there a scarcity of imagination? Is there really a finite pool of human resources in AA? We've got two million people from which to ask help and ideas from. Isn't that plenty? Voting to conserve resources isn't the only prudent way to be a good steward. Getting away from binary thinking that divides winners from losers and moving towards an attitude of accommodation, it's possible in this day and age. Here's an oversimplified example. Someone wants a new, easy-reading big book? We can print on demand. No risk, no cost. We don't have to do a long print run. The say-yes-to-everything mentality assures the people get what they want, and when the hand reaches out, AA's there. This positivity can inspire solutions. The only thing remaining is who, when, where. If resources at GSO are tight, maybe A at large will rise to the call to action, needing someone to write the first draft, someone to edit it, someone to design it. We live in a less autocratic and more democratic world in 2016. We live in a more digital world which offers advantages over the resources at the time the traditions and concepts were crafted. To each their own is more 21st century. We don't have to all get on board with the same uniformed way of doing things. The few should decide for themselves what they need, and maybe the service structure 
ought to, instead of voting yes or no, might go to any lengths to meet that need presented by our fellows. If you think that say yes to everything, radical accommodation, if you think this approach is crazy, let's go back to the foundation of Tradition 3. When we read the 12 and 12, we see how we came to accept that the only requirement for membership was a desire to stop drinking. At the time, it sounded reckless. It sounded naive. It sounded fatal to say, yes, everyone is a member if they say so. But it worked, didn't it? Let's look at someone who is an inspiration. Louis Brandis was the first Jewish U.S. Supreme Court judge. He was nominated by President Woodrow Wilson in 1916. Brandis's decisions affirmed individual liberty and privacy and opposed unchecked government or corporate power. In Beyond Belief, I quoted Brandis, who said, The greatest danger to liberty lurks in the insidious encroachment by men of zeal, well-meaning, but without understanding. For the record, the first person of zeal I confront is the image confronting me in the mirror each day. I know that my understanding is limited, and I remind myself, or I try to, that even if I have good intentions, that doesn't mean I'm right. What I've learned in the rooms is to check every great new idea, check my head and my heart, metaphorically speaking, and then I check with others that I trust. If I have a lot of zeal, that's no indicator that I'm on the right track. Neither being for nor against, isn't that the key to seeing the truth? I have plenty of experience with being absolutely sure and completely wrong all at the same time. Here's what Sen San said, I don't know, somewhere around the year 600. The perfect way is only difficult to those who pick and choose. Do not like, do not dislike. All will be clear. Make a hairbreadth difference, and heaven and earth are set apart. If you want the truth to stand clear before you, never before or against. The struggle between for and against is the mind's worst disease. Accommodation doesn't require everybody else to change what they're doing and do what the minority member wants. Accommodation facilitates individual needs. It removes barriers. A tolerant pluralist society means that others will do or say things that we find objectionable. The accommodation request doesn't have to be proven to be needed. It simply needs to be asked for. The accommodation doesn't have to work out in the long run even. AA is self-correcting and somewhere along the way we'll accommodate a member. It won't work out as planned. We'll try again. We'll keep an open mind and hope they do the same. Voting is a modality for fairness and equality. So is accommodation. In an autocracy, voting works best. We live in a more democratic world. Accommodation is becoming the social norm. It fits the view, I think it fits the view of our founder's view of what the future of AA should be. Concept 12, Warranty 6. Let's read again and think about accommodation and see if this is what they had in mind too. Much attention has been drawn to the extraordinary liberties AA traditions accord the individual member and his group. No penalties to be inflicted for nonconformity to AA principles. It's possible that we AAs possess more and greater freedom than any fellowship in the world today. Because we set such a high value on great liberties, we cannot conceive a time when they will ever need to be limited. We especially enjoin our general service conference to abstain completely from any and all acts of authoritative government which could in any way curtail AA's freedom. Therefore, we expect that our conference will always try to act in the spirit of mutual respect and love, one member for another. In turn, this sign signifies that mutual trust should prevail. 
that no action ought to be taken in anger, haste, or recklessness, that care will be observed to respect and protect all minorities, that no action should ever be personally punitive, that wherever possible, important actions will be taken by substantial unanimity, and that our conference will ever be prudently on guard against tyrannies great or small, whether they be found in the majority or the minority. So how do we guard against both tyrannies, tyrannies of the majority and the minority? Do we have to meet every request just because it's asked for? No. In Canadian law, as an example, organizations have to accommodate based on named grounds, not on everything. Someone with a disability, a difference in sexual orientation or religion, race, uh, they would all have to be treated equally, and this might mean a special accommodation to the way we generally do things. A religious person may have a holy day that falls outside the named holidays in our Christian calendar. An employer, for instance, would have to give them their sacred day off, just as the employer might give everyone Christmas and Good Friday off. Our holidays are a form of systemic discrimination because they're based on a, a particular religion. There's a second limit to accommodation under the law, and that's undue hardship. As an example, an old church or community building might not have a wheelchair ramp or elevator everywhere that there's stairs. It might be an undue hardship for the owners of the building with limited means to secure financing to build a ramp only for one person. But the community center or church, when they sell their building and buy another, the new building will have to be accessible. All new buildings do. In AA, who do we want to accommodate? Well, I would say, based on our inventory, the underrepresented minorities would be an obvious example. You know, in the case of the uh, simpler big book action, maybe the answer shouldn't have been no at this time. It would be, well, how are we going to do this? And that would have been a whole new discussion. It's difficult, but I don't think it would have been impossible. Here's another quote from another judge speaking on how society views accommodation as a means of leveling the playing field, not giving someone an advantage, but giving them the same rights as everybody else. When we ask people to be tolerant of others, we do not ask them to abandon their personal convictions. We merely ask them to respect the rights, values, and ways of being of those who may not share those convictions. The belief that others are entitled to equal respect depends not on the belief that their values are right, but the belief that they have a claim to equal respect regardless of whether they are right. So this accommodation idea isn't a new idea. All of society is starting to move towards it. There's lots more, but you've been oh so kind with your time. Uh, I don't think a transition from substantial majority action to duty to accommodate action is insignificant, and I don't think it would be seamless. I can't say that it will work, but why not try it? We've identified that we are falling short in our effort to carry the AA message. Maybe next time P.I. asks for a YouTube site, we'll say, your wish is our command. Maybe the next time someone asks for a literature that speaks to them in a better way, we'll say, that would be our pleasure. Okay, I'm ready for your feedback. News at RebellionDogsPublishing.com Maybe I'll see you in the rooms. Maybe I'll catch you online. Twitter, Facebook... You know where we are. Thanks for listening. For your listening pleasure, this is a song called Hopeless Addiction. It's from a new band and their new record I just got. They're called the Tarp Kickers. 
and their CD is called One Heart from Calgary, Alberta. Thanks for listening. Of my heart, I sweep them off the street. Eh?